Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. I look fine, but I'm not fine. Can you relate to this? Can you relate to the experience of walking through the world and there's something inside of you, a part of you that you're really struggling with, whether it's anxiety or shame or anger or grief or sadness and The way, though, that you present to the world is that those around you probably have no idea. Maybe you are someone who connects with the idea of struggling with perfectionism. You try to just achieve perfection, and then that will kind of keep that part of you protected and safe. Or you put the needs of those around you above your own. Or sometimes you lose it and you show up with anger and that's the protector emotion that kind of shows up and keeps people at a distance when you're inside feeling really overwhelmed or you're struggling. Do you struggle with the idea of rest being productive? Do you feel like rest has to be earned? And then because of that, you find yourself not resting and feeling really burnt out or overwhelmed or not asking for support. If you can relate to any of this, I'm so glad you're tuning in to today's episode. I invited my friend and colleague, Dr. Sahar Martinez, onto the podcast. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a mom to two. In today's episode, we're exploring how you can begin to develop a new relationship with the parts of yourself that you may have been pushing down or avoiding or hiding for a really long time, and also how we can reclaim rest and develop a relationship with our children that supports them so that they're not struggling with these same things when they're adults. I'm so glad you're tuning in. Are you ready? Let's dive in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, my friend, Dr. Martinez. I am so excited to be chatting with you. Like we, we, we've just been talking for like 10, 15 minutes <laughs> before we even hit record because I just wanted to talk to you and catch up. Um, but I was like, oh, we should, we should also record this episode because it's going to be a valuable thing for others to witness too. Um, but it's just, it's such a joy to chat with you, to know you, connect with you. Um, I'm trying to think how long we've known each other. We met on Instagram, mm-hmm. as as many <laughs> many of my friends <laughs> these days these days do. That's where I meet them. Um, and yeah, I think that we were just like both 
therapists showing up on Instagram when not a lot of therapists were showing up on Instagram mm-hmm. back in the day. And we just started chatting, connecting, um, resonating. Uh, and then I had you on my other podcast, Holding Space for Therapists, to talk about diversifying your income as a therapist. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite topics for that for that community. And and I was like, I got to have you on this podcast. And I was scrolling, <laughs> I was scrolling through because you're a mother and you talk about motherhood. Um, and I know that that's something that you also specialize in and, and work with. And I was scrolling through your posts and there was one that really stood out to me that I really resonated with personally. And I know from the work I do and the mothers I talk with, parents I talk with, others do as well. And it said, I look fine, but I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to talk about today. The like the, the the person who's struggling but then puts on the mask and like no one around them knows that they're struggling or like the high, quote unquote, high functioning anxiety. And I put that in quotes because like what does that even mean? Uh-huh. But so that's what we're talking about today, um, and I can't wait. But before we dive in, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listener and <laughs> get to know you before they spend the next forty-five minutes or so with you. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Dr. Sahar Martinez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, in Orange County, California, and that's what I do for work. I also teach. Um, and I'm a mom of two boys. And I'm just figuring this all out <laughs> as I go along. I think like most of us are. Yeah, you and me both. Yeah. We, we, uh-huh. were just, we were just chatting about oh, the, the the challenges and the uh, just how much parenting can just bring up so much. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I so I saw this post that you shared, and it was like I think it was quotes like I look fine, but I'm not fine. And I'd love to just first kind of hear for you what inspired you to kind of name this as a thing and like bring the conversation up around this this idea of struggling, but nobody around you really knows. And there's so many different reasons why people might not know. Maybe people aren't asking or mm-hmm. aren't noticing or you're keeping that part of you that's struggling really protected and hidden. Um, so I'd first just kind of love to hear your thoughts and why this was something you wanted to bring conversation around. Yeah, I think the first time I noticed that this was like something that I do personally was in my own experience of motherhood um, and experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and very much outwardly like projecting that I was fine and inwardly being the complete opposite of that. Um, and that disconnection went on for a very, very long time. And when I was able to name that, I was also able to look back at the other times in my life when I had done the same thing outside of the context of parenthood. I think motherhood just amplified it for me. Like it was such a drastic shift between how I presented outwardly versus how I felt inwardly. Whereas other times I would just, I would function under the mask of like, I have high functioning anxiety. And that, you know, makes me really productive and it's really great. And I can stay up really late in my work and study in grad school um, when really it was not okay. And it wasn't great. And working off of a, you know, a very small amount of sleep, like is not great for anybody. And it works for a while 
or it feels like it can work for a while. It can be productive. I put that in air quotes because it's not actually productive. Um, until for me, until I reached parenthood and I was like, oh, this really doesn't work anymore. Like I can't fake it. I can't outwardly present in one way and inwardly feel in another way. And so the solution for me was to put language to it. It wasn't about like asking for help necessarily or anything. It was putting language to my experience and to be witnessed in that experience Mm -hmm. to like make it feel integrated and real. Yeah. I mean, before we can even ask for support, we've got to understand what it is we're experiencing, right? Like, I mean, I I know so many people who say, okay, yeah, I need more support from my partner or from my family or, but like, I don't even know what it is that I need. Like, I just Mm -hmm. know that it's right now, whatever this is, isn't working and it doesn't, I don't feel good and it doesn't feel right. And I'm struggling. Okay. So to this piece of like, this showed up you know, you really noticed it when you became a a mom and you were able to kind of finally start to name it and do some kind of processing and work around it, right? Mm -hmm. But that what that then looked like was you reflecting on the fact that this is a part of you that has been there for a while. And it makes me think about like going all the way back, like to childhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as children, we are absorbing the world around us and we begin to notice, you know, in our efforts to stay safe and have our needs met, right? It's it's very important that we keep our, especially our caretakers and the, the adults around us, people taking care of us, that we keep them to close to us, right? To meet our mm-hmm. needs. And so we learn really early on what parts of ourselves bring people to us or push people away mm-hmm. and or we learn what we need to shut down in order to in order to keep people near us right um mm-hmm. and uh, gosh i mean our 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 generation the parents of our like our parents you know from in our generation okay so not us as parents but like our parents yeah. <laughs> like they, like what what was like the go to tactic in parenting um it was a lot of – it was timeouts or like kids are supposed to be seen and not heard. And I mean that's and, – and obviously there's so many ways in which that can look like and in ways mm-hmm. that are um, really, really traumatic and or, or things that you look back and you're like, no, I don't think it was traumatic. But when you actually really take a closer look at it, there were these – just like, yeah, little moments of disconnection or little moments where you felt like you were too much or mm-hmm. that these feelings that you had were going to push people away or overwhelmed the people around you. And if it overwhelms them, gosh, like that's that's not good. That's scary. Mm-hmm. I need to shut that down in me, right? Um, yeah. Or I start to develop a sense of like there's something wrong with me and I don't want anyone to see that. Do you develop that shame? Mm-hmm. And then, right, um, I can really relate to the piece you're sharing here about anxiety almost kind of be almost kind of like taking on this role in your life and your identity as like this is this is how I stay productive um and it contributes to my productivity right it mm-hmm. helps me stay focused it um it keeps me on task and i would I would say and i I'd love to hear your thoughts on it like anxiety isn't going anywhere. And so it's not all bad. Like anxiety, anxiety, a a certain level of anxiety does help 
us focus does kind mm-hmm. of give us that like motivation to stay on top of things or um, gosh, even like some like tunnel vision sometimes so that we aren't distracted by things around us as we get that like, you know, that good groove of focus. Mm-hmm. But if that part of us jumps in the driver's seat or surpasses that level of helpfulness, um, then it can have sort of the opposite effect, right? Where we actually yeah. feel more like we just need to numb or avoid or we're overwhelmed. Over, like it feels like we we can't focus because of that kind of pressure and stress. So it's not really about getting rid of the anxiety or this part of us, whatever that part is that that we hide, but finding a way to relate to it differently. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, my situation growing up, well, it wasn't, it's not unique, but it was unique in comparison to like the friends that I grew up with and that my parents are immigrants. Um, and we didn't really talk about like feelings and stuff at home. I always felt very loved and they were, they expressed love a lot, mm-hmm. but it, there wasn't a lot of room for anything outside of that. And anytime there was any kind of conflict or, you know, anything that was kept very private. And I think as a kid, I didn't understand that that privacy was protective, like in the sense of like, we're not going to reprimand you in front of a group of people. Like, we're going to wait till we go home to talk to you about whatever happened. Yeah. But, and I understand that now that it was protective of us as like my sister and I as kids, but as a kid, it felt secretive. Mm. And I didn't like that. I think that was dysregulating for me because I didn't know like the full context of what the thought process was for them. Yeah. So that coupled with, um, I had undiagnosed ADHD throughout my childhood and adolescence. So the way that the world made sense to me was very different than how it made sense to the rest of my family and the people around me. Yeah. And that made me feel very othered. And so I think anxiety for me came in at a very, very young age uh, because I felt different, because I felt othered and because I felt like there was no one around me that understood my experience because I didn't entirely understand my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you sharing that just makes me even think about the conversations. I mean, it's just making me think about my own, my, my kids now that I'm a parent and like the, the conversations that we can have with them to actually help them understand some of the context, right? I think that in so many yeah. in so many ways, we think that we're kids. Kids are kids won't understand. They don't have the it's too much information for them, or like they don't they won't be able to make sense of these things if we try to explain these things. I don't know, but like mm-hmm. what happens is like we're we're meaning making machines, right? Yeah. As human beings, we're always trying to make meaning, and so as a child. If your parent, like I'm thinking about like my, my middle child, um, he's my deeply feeling kid. I think we, we all are deeply feeling, but his deep, his deep feelings oftentimes come in ways where it's, it explodes out of him. And mm-hmm. I can sense for him and now in knowing him that in the moment and after the moment, there's a part of him that feels like there's something wrong with him and and bad shame because it's like his Mm -hmm. big feelings almost seem to like spread to everyone around him. Like it's, it's so, it's so loud and it takes up so much space and he notices that. And so one thing that I'll oftentimes do that does seem to help is I'll take him out of that situation with all the people and bring him into a more enclosed space with just me. Cause I also know from a sensory experience, he has a hard time feeling like he needs to feel where he ends. If that makes sense. Like, um, the edges of him, right? Like he, mm-hmm. it's, it's important. Like he loves to be held and squeezed and, um, 
he needs that to like kind of know where he is in space. And so I'll take him to a, an enclosed space and um, I'll just sit there with him. But I, I do – there is a part of me that wonders, like that, 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 that experience of like being removed, right? If there's a part of him that wonders like is she – embarrassed of me or is she is this a secret right is a secretive like that we're we're going to be talking about this and it's something that other people can't see and it and to me I'm I'm human so yeah in some in some moments like there's for sure that part mm-hmm. of me that's just like I I feel overwhelmed by being observed right um yeah. and all of that but I, I do want him to understand that this is actually maybe a resource and tool that he can learn for himself of what it is that he needs in these moments when he's feeling dysregulated. And it's not about that. We really got to separate like, what is it that, what is it that others are experiencing of, in, of me in this moment versus like what it is that I'm needing to like regulate myself. And that that's Absolutely. really, that really is like the, the value that's, that's pushing me to do that with him. But I maybe I need to talk to him about that. I could do that like in between the moments, right? Like, hey, buddy, you know, sometimes when you get really upset and and I, I, I pick you up and I take you to maybe the car or to the bathroom and we sit down together, I want you to kind of understand like why I do that, right? And and let's let's see how that feels for you. Because mm-hmm. I think I could I could connect with what you're sharing. And I think that kids make are making meaning all the time. And maybe that's one of the ways we could support them early on from thinking that they have to hide these parts of themselves, right? Yeah. You know, I think like, I think anxiety gets a bad rap, to be totally honest. Like anxiety can be really functional in our lives in a lot of different ways. And there's a very fine line. Like there is a fine line of anxiety is motivating for me versus anxiety becomes intrusive in my life. Mm -hmm. And when that um, intrusive part of it comes up, it takes away so much. It takes away the opportunity to rest, to exhale, to relax. It takes away, sometimes it takes away the joy in life because there's so much anxiousness. Mm-hmm. And so I think like the more that we can address that in childhood, it not only helps our kids, but it also helps us like reflect back on our own experiences and start to heal those parts of ourselves. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Nothing mm-hmm. has pushed me into connecting with my inner child and like healing than becoming a parent. It's one of the reasons I love working with parents is because yeah. of that door that it, it just kind of forces open and like and the the vulnerability that it forces on us because we're so exhausted and it feels like all of our parts have just like fallen apart and now we're trying to piece them back together. And and yeah, this this okay. So developing this new relationship with anxiety, and to kind of put it in context of what we're talking about here, is this part of us, whether it's anxiety, whether it's um, shame, whether it's um, like the sense of like there's something wrong with me, um, you know, this the rage that maybe you feel, the anger, the the sadness, the depression the guilt, the grief for your old life, whatever it is that you are experiencing, that part of you, that you, the listener, may feel like you're hiding from those around you, right? Like they don't know because you look like you're fine, right? Um, How do we begin to develop a new relationship with this part of ourselves? And yeah. And do you kind of see this work looking like actually connecting with like a younger version of ourselves, right? Like 
this idea I do. of like inner child's inner child stuff that people yeah throw around. I mean, I do. I do think it's connecting to younger versions of ourselves, other versions of ourselves, other parts of ourselves. Um, the the way the place that I always start, like the entry point, is how do you feel about your feeling? Mm. How do you feel about the fact that you feel anxious a lot, or that you have this going on or that going on? How do you feel about your overwhelm? And like, let's connect to the deeper emotion that's there. Do you feel angry about it? Okay, anger is protective. Why do you feel the need to protect it? I think a lot of times, like we kind of rest on the surface because it is so overwhelming. And if we give ourselves the opportunity to like dive in, we can see that there's a lot there and there's a lot there that can move around. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we move that stuff around, we surface new things. And that is sometimes really hard, but also like the end result of that is incredibly healing. Mm. I think about all the different like, protectors, right? The protector parts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the perfectionist pr- protector part, right? Where it's like the way that I'll protect myself from this thing that feels like I need to hide or I feel ashamed of or is overwhelming is um, or scary is I'm just going to be perfect. Perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. perfect. And <laughs> as long as I'm – that's a TikTok audio going around right now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I don't know. I can't. I just have to just pause and say like now that I do these TikTok Fridays and I create reels and I'm always taking in like this audio content either to like share or to like repurpose. It's like I can't not think about these audios now in like certain situations All the time. in my life. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> like it's it's not real. We'll never achieve perfection. But like the the protective part of it is like maybe if I can just strive for perfection then I'll be safe. Or then Mm -hmm. the people around me won't see that there is this part of me that I feel so ashamed of or so disgusted by or so overwhelmed by um, or so afraid of. And so there's the perfectionist part. There's anger, right? Like if if I'm feeling like helpless or powerless or overwhelmed and my partner, you know, or, you know, someone comes in and like, you know, makes a, a, makes, says something that just like taps into that part of me, um, or makes it seem like they may see that part of me, I can go into attack mode, right? That's one of our stress responses, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Like Mm -hmm. I might go into fight mode and just, that's when it just like bubbles out into like rage and anger and it pushes people away, right? It's like now, now you're, now you're over here and I'm protecting that you can't see this part of me. There's also that, that fawn response, right? Where it's like, what I'm going to do is just focus on everyone else's needs, but my own. Um, And maybe if I do that, I don't need to look at this. Maybe others won't look at it. This, this thing that's um, brewing inside of me or that um, Mm. I'm struggling with. And so there's, all these different protector parts. And what, what I hear you saying is if we ask ourselves, like, what do you feel about this feeling? Then it allows us to, it allows us to say, to, to kind of like get down to the level of this part. I almost picture like getting down to the level of a child and just being yeah. curious about like, okay, behind this perfect, perfect mask or this angry part or this, this fawning, like taking care of everyone else's needs, like what, what's behind you? What are you protecting? Mm-hmm. And getting to know that part of you, right? And 
um, what does it feel like to be in that part's presence without those protector parts? And mm. what do you feel towards that? Can we can we can we foster any any tenderness or understanding for why this part is so afraid or sad or you know feeling so powerless or overwhelmed? Yeah. You know, it's like the difference between um, trying to make sense of something versus just having the acceptance mm. of it. And I, I know for myself, like I've spent, I spent a lot of years of my life trying to make sense of things that were happening around me, to oh me, God. in my life. Yes. Um, so much of it. I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like I have to make it make sense. And I look back and I'm like, if I had just accepted like that radical acceptance this is happening. How do I feel about it? What does it bring up for me? Why do I feel that way? I it would have been a lot easier. Oh my god! So I, that's how I engage in my life now. You know, it's okay. This is happening. What's coming up for me? Why is that coming up? Can I land in a place where I understand? Mm. Do I have to understand? And can I just accept mm. it? Mm. Oof, that's a that's a big shift. I think mm-hmm. like we're all as humans like meaning makers. Like our, our brain's always trying to make meaning and draw, draw connections and like, but sometimes, and this is this is so true. Sometimes our brain, it um, it prioritizes like efficiency and just like okay, this experience and this feeling. Um, okay, we've felt this before over here. Okay, just just connect these things together. Right. And like now, now we make meaning of it and it's dangerous and it's bad. And it's like, you know, versus like pausing and being Mm -hmm. like, hold on, instead of getting all hooked up in that, can I, can I, can I accept, can I first just accept that this feeling is here, that I'm experiencing this right now, um, that it's understandable. Right. Can I have, like, is there any tenderness or compassion I can feel towards the fact that I have these feelings, right, and accept them versus what I think tends to happen, right, like trying to – and even some therapy approaches, like, kind of support this idea of, like, just, like, challenging them or restructuring it or Mm -hmm. decreasing it, right, right, versus this idea of acceptance um, and bringing it along but not letting it – but – but still having boundaries where it's not going to take over. It's just a part of you that's going to offer you data about the world around you and you get to decide if it's something you're going to respond to um, or something that you're going to use as like direction. Does that, does that make sense or did I, yeah. did I get to? No, it totally makes sense. You know, I think it's this idea, like we're taught in grad school, at least I was taught in grad school, that, you know, the work that you do is to get your client like from point A to point B right? Point A is like where they come in and point B is like they're healed and they, you know, leave therapy. And that's a very linear way to think of healing. And we know that healing isn't linear. There's like a million and one memes and posts and all that stuff about it. Um, But what if we were able to look at healing as not having an end point? Mm -hmm. Like what if actual healing is acceptance and boundaries and consent and all of that. Mm. So like I, I work with a lot of clients who have birth trauma and sometimes um, some a handful of my clients currently are having their next child 
and they don't want to give birth in the same location where they had their first child. Yeah. Because of the trauma, they don't want to re-enter that space. They don't. They don't want to be um, exposed to that stimuli again, right? Yeah. And the messaging that the clients are getting is that you have to, you have to get over this so that you can have your baby at this hospital. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't. Actually, you don't have to get over it. Actually, you don't. Yeah. Like, what if that was the answer? Mm. Why does it that healing has to require that we re-enter spaces? Um, re-enter relationships, re-enter anything that feels traumatic to us. Why can't we have boundaries for that? Why can't we have consent for that? Mm. And so I think that there is like a, a new different way to think about things that can provide a sense of safety mm-hmm. um, and acceptance in the context of, I accept that this happened or I accept that this was my experience. And I also accept that I can do something differently that feels safe to me. I think that's such a powerful way of looking at this idea of acceptance because I think, you know, when I was first, one of the approaches that I utilize a lot in my practice is called acceptance and commitment Mm -hmm. therapy. Um, And when I first was hearing about this, I was like, wait, so like acceptance in the sense of like just putting your hands up, like, okay, I just accept this is happening to me and I just did nothing I can do. And it's no, it's, 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 this is not the kind of acceptance that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the acceptance of actually accepting your internal experiences, right? In the sense that like these parts of you are here, bringing them forward, like having space between you and them where it's not Mm -hmm. just like you feel, you react and it's like there's no separation. It's this is a part of me. And if I can accept that this is a part of me, I actually have then more space to look at it, be curious about it, to understand it, right? Like to – to decide to to look at like okay this part of me what's the what's the data what's the what's the data this emotion this feeling is offering is it and is what parts of this are helpful and and then what parts aren't serving me right yeah and and then turning towards your values to determine you know what steps you're going to take next and letting that be the direction rather than the emotion just driving the action and reactivity and in that is so many opportunities, as you're saying, for boundaries and mm-hmm. consent and intentionality with this part of you, this experience, this feeling coming along, right? Um, and 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 actually, actually feeling then internally the sense of more connection with yourself, right? Um, so it's very different from this idea of just like putting your hands up, accepting, and just yeah. like having no agency, right? Right. So we're talking here about, you know, this idea of taking off the masks, of allowing yourself to connect with these parts of yourself. And, you know, we're talking about high, high functioning anxiety and all these things. And you also talked about how becoming a parent, because you're sleep deprived, it's like so much harder to like just mm-hmm. keep all those balls in the air. And this brings me to another post of yours that I really connected with. And it said that rest is a birthright, mm-hmm. you know, sort of reclaiming rest as being quote unquote productive. And I put that in quotes just because like, why is productivity always the goal, you know, but I, right. think, I think it is. And so we got to kind of rebrand rest as being productive yeah. because that's the, or maybe we don't need to, like we can take productivity off the table. But I just think that's like, 
that's the struggle, right? Is like it doesn't feel productive. Um, so then we don't give ourselves, we don't set the boundaries to give ourselves space for it. So I want to just kind of understand this idea um, of, of this thing that you shared of rest being a birthright. What do you mean? I mean that you don't have to earn it. Mm, yeah. Right? Like we are all entitled to rest. Mm. Like we're all allowed and we all have permission to rest when we need it, when we want it. We don't have to earn it. And I think that is like our society very much implies that we have to earn our rest. Like we have to earn everything else. And so I have to make sure that I go run five miles so that it's okay for me to like sit down and watch a show. Mm. I have to make sure that I, you know, work 50 hours in a week so that I can enjoy my weekend so that I can earn a trip away, so that I can earn a dinner out with my friends, so I can earn, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we don't have to do that. You don't have to earn your rest. And I also want to like say rest isn't just taking a nap. Like rest is anything that feels restorative to you. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so we don't have to earn our restoration. We can just have it. We can access it when we want it. Um. But in order to really embody that, we have to start to like unhook from all of the narratives that we've been given around earning rest and productivity wow. and our our value as a person being linked to being productive and rest being something that devalues, right? When we think of rest, we think oftentimes like the words that will come up are things like lazy, uh, unproductive. They're all negative words, right? No one's ever like, oh my God, that, you know, Sahar rests so well. Like no one says that, you <laughs> know? The other word that comes to mind is the word sick. Like, yeah. that, like, oh, you're sick. You need rest. But like, that's mm -hmm. when I, that's the times when I need it. Right. So why do I have to be sick in order to give my body, my mind, my soul, all of it, the opportunity to restore? Oh my goodness. This is really something. And I think that's why like our bodies give out at some point, right? Like I know for myself without fail, like February of every year around the middle of February, I get sick every year. I get a cold that like knocks me out. Usually it's laryngitis and it knocks me out for like a day or two. And I'm like, oh, right. Like I haven't taken a day off in six weeks. So this is my body showing up saying like, we're going to take you out. Like you literally, your job functions on being able to talk. So we're taking that away from you for a couple of days. <laughs> I get sick every February too. Like mm -hmm. that's the month I get the flu. Like right it's because like, January is like so busy for therapists. Yeah, I'm like, wait, isn't this past yeah. flu season? Oh wait, no, just it's my time of the year because, and I think it's because I took two weeks off in December, and now I need to earn it back to get that back. And then but I'm gonna so I'm gonna put this out there. Did you take two weeks off, or did you just not work for two weeks? <laughs> I just didn't work for two weeks. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I was uh, parenting with my kids being home all the time. <laughs> yeah. So that's not a vacation. That's no. not taking time off. No, no. That's just a different kind of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Touche. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So for the listener who I'm, I'm like thinking of like some of my clients, I'm thinking of myself, like who is like, they know this, but like what they actually really need to do is connect with like things that they may have heard when they were kids or experiences that they had when they were little, like the narratives, right? They, they need like, they need like the tangible, like, oh yeah, I did hear that. Or, oh yeah, I did have these experiences. I don't know. Can you, can you think of anything that like we may hear when we're little or when we're in school or when we're in high school or college, like 
young adults. Like, can you? What are some of these narratives or discourses that we hear that then, that then kind of crystallize <laughs> into like this idea that rather yeah. to be earned? Like, what are some of the things that we might hear or experience? I think the focus on merit and achievement, mm-hmm. yeah, being valuable, is what really, um, what really creates that barrier to rest. You know, so we get awards in school for, you know, not being absent for a day. Like, so my kid had the stomach flu a couple weeks or a couple months ago, and it was his first absence. And he had all, he was so upset about it. I was like looking at him, like, I loved missing school when I was a kid. Yeah. Like that was the bad. I got to stay home with my mom all day. I got to watch TV all day. Like it was the best. And he's like, I haven't missed one day of school. I'm the only kid in my class who hasn't missed one day of school. And now I've missed a day. And I was like, why do you care? And he's like, well, you got an award at the end of the school year if you don't miss any days of school. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, I is that really a thing? No, it was Like a perfect, perfect attendance award. It was a per- – like that was a thing when I was a kid. Yeah. Sure. I, mean, I don't remember if my – I mean, I definitely miss days of school. I love staying at home. <laughs> but, so I never got that award. But in my head, I was like, that is so flawed. Mm. Like so you're you're either celebrating a kid who has to come to school sick or you're celebrating a kid who just didn't get sick and they just showed up at school. But what is that? What messaging is that giving every other kid? Oh my goodness. I you know, that it's bad to stay home and that. take care of yourself. I do not even think and so, of that example. But I think that there is so much, and that, that's just one example. There is so much focus on like achievement based merit. Yeah. That where we don't really look at like what, what are the ways that we're teaching kids to take care of themselves? What are the ways that we learn how to take care of ourselves outside of getting good grades and getting an award or getting a trophy or any of these things? Yeah. You know, so I know in our house, like, you know, my kids are four and six, like they totally get dysregulated. They still throw tantrums. It's age appropriate. And when they are able to calm themselves down, like in a way that works for them, we celebrate that at home. Mm. You know, we express that we are proud of them. So if my six-year-old is having a rough time and he is, you know, having a moment and he realizes that, oh, I'm going to go take a book and I'm going to go sit in my room, mm-hmm. I'm going to have some alone time, like I'll tell him that I'm proud of him for doing that. It's just, this is making me think about so many opportunities that I could take with my children. Um, and God, I got to bring it back to myself too, but like, because I need this too, but like with my kids to really bring this home for them. Um you know, it's my, my, my son is actually home sick right now. And when he first was like, you know, complaining about his stomach yesterday, I was like, oh my gosh, we just got off of like two weeks of spring break. You've been home all the time, like so much screen time, like you need school. And also just like, I need him to be at school. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like minimized it at first. And I was just like, no, buddy, like, are you sure? Like, and then I went to, then I went in the bathroom and I kind of was like getting myself ready and I just like landed in my body, landed in myself and like really what I do want him to learn is that he can trust his body. Mm-hmm. Tell him what he needs. And I came back out and I said to him like it took everything in me. I was like, "Buddy, I trust you to listen to your body. What is your body saying that you need?" And he said, I need to be home. I need to rest. And like, poor kid, he didn't eat like all day. Like he really wasn't feeling good. Um, And 
I think that there's room here for me to even come to him today because he's saying he's home today too, just because some of the COVID protocols, even though he's feeling yeah. better. I'm going to come to him today. I think I'm going to say how proud I am that he – or maybe I'll shift it. It doesn't need to even be about my pride, but it can be like how does it feel for you that you listen to your body, you know, mm-hmm. like – and celebrating it within, within himself. Um, yeah. And I think about the times when like – one of my kids doesn't want to go to something we committed to, whether it's a sports mm-hmm. practice or activity or a party. And there's that part of me that's like, wait, you committed to this. Like, you need to go. And I think that's totally my own stuff. And being able to honor that for themselves. Like, I think there's a fear of, uh, inside of me that, like, if I, if, I, if I let them, if I let them, like, basically listen to their body and rest, that then mm-hmm. it's going to, the rest, the rest is going to take over their body and or that, that, part of them and like they're never going to show up to things and they're never going to commit to yeah. things and like that's bullshit like it is bullshit because yeah at some point they're not going to because they're going to be so freaking exhausted and burnt out like like I've gotten and look 100% like I'm horrible at this I overcommit all of the time I'm always like I'm going to take some time off and I never do and so I you know and I get that it's a I'm a work in progress I am doing mm. my best and I also like like yesterday is a good example of this. I um, guest lectured in a friend's class yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was like getting my stuff ready in the in the morning. And I turned to my husband and I was like, "Oh, I really don't want to do this today." And he looked at me and he was like, "Do you actually not want to do it, or are you feeling burnt out?" And I like stopped and I thought for a second, and I was like, "You know what? No, I'm super excited about doing this. Like, this feels really good. I'm excited to like see my friend and her element, like." Yeah. With our classroom, I'm excited to go like into a classroom that's not my own and talk about something I'm passionate about. I'm excited for this and I am really burnt out. Yeah. And so I need to attend to that at a, mm-hmm. like, at a different time and hold space for the fact that I can be excited and be burnt out at the same time. Mm, two things. And I can work towards trying not to do that in the future. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I'm thinking about like this, because I, this, this, like my, my, like one of my kids not wanting to go to like a sports practice or something comes up a lot. And like, I really struggle with like them not going. And I think what I can really hold on to is like two things can be true that they are tired and need rest and like are starting to feel burnt out and can be individuals who are committed team members. And actually by taking this rest, it's going to make it easier for them and, and more, more committed because yeah. they're, they're caring for themselves and that's a way that they can care for their team. <sighs> I mean, we very much grew up like in a generation where you like did the things that you were told to do the things, even if you didn't want to do them because yeah. it was the right quote unquote, right thing to do. Yeah. Right. So show up to this space, hug that person, Mm. um, do this thing, do that thing, whatever it is, because that's what you're supposed to do. And I call bullshit on that. Like there is no supposed to. And it is so hard for me to unhook myself from that. Mm -hmm. Like I am all about body consent and touch consent. And if like you're, if I'm not, I don't want to force my child to hug someone just because it's quote unquote what they're they're supposed to do because it's not yeah. like BS, but like it was, it's so ingrained in me, mm-hmm. and it is like those are such tricky moments, and like I they're think, super tricky. Yeah, and, I grew up in a family and in a culture where it's like that's what you do: you yeah. hug, you kiss, you show physical, you know, affection. And I have one kid who is super on board for that. He is like, <laughs> we'll go around, give everybody a hug and a kiss. Like it's his yeah. thing. 
And my younger son is very selective. And so, you know, we'll have family who will come up and be like, give me a hug. And he'll say no. And I'll sometimes step in and be like, "He's he'll give you a hug later if he wants to. Yeah. You know, and then we'll always like reassure him, like, you don't have to touch anybody you don't want to touch. You don't have to hug anybody you don't want to hug. I hated that stuff when I was a kid. Like I hated having to like hug people that I didn't know. And I think that that's like a, you know, it's a really good example though, of how early this starts, like how early we start saying yes to things because we think it's, we have to do it versus like honoring what it is that we want for ourselves and, you know, following through with that. And then I think about myself in high school and college when I start to, started to find myself in situations where I didn't feel comfortable and I wanted to leave and I didn't want to partake and not again and, and like not trusting my like that I could listen to my body, right? Or that mm-hmm. I could say no and walk away. And like I, I I try to always come back to that, right? Like that I want my child to listen to their body and trust their body. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we had a recent ex- – we were um, we waited like forever in line for a ride at Disneyland. We get to it. We get to the ride. And my son is like, I don't want to go on this ride anymore. Like, <laughs> And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> And there was that part of me that was like, buddy, like – we waited all this time. Yeah, and I was you're like, going wait, on the ride. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I literally think about this. I I go to like I go to this scene because it's it's triggering for me and it like brings up feelings and I, I there it's a really important thing for me. I go I literally go to like okay he's 16 he's at a party he's uncomfortable like do I want him to just push through the discomfort mm-hmm. that his body's signaling to him um, and do the thing. Or and like people around him are saying like no just do it like it's not a big deal like or do I want him to be like no my body says no I'm uncomfortable and I can trust that right now I could call my mom even though she doesn't know that I'm here <laughs> and tell yeah. her mom I'm I'm at this party I know you didn't know I was here but I'm uncomfortable can you come get me like oh my goodness I want him to do that because I wish yeah. I would have done that so many times and I so yeah. It's that's like we I had the same experience at Disneyland. We had like the literal identical experience <laughs> at Disneyland a couple years ago. My son, we waited in line forever. We were with a bunch of friends. Yeah. Um, and we got to the front of the line and he just looked at me and he's like, Mama, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And for, I was and for me, like I it was a very easy decision. I was like, all right, we'll get out of line. Like your dad will go on with your little brother and whatever. But I think it was an easy decision because I spent so much of my childhood like feeling like I couldn't make those decisions and like my childhood and adolescence. I think part of it is like the ADHD and part of it was like having really bad anxiety that was unacknowledged as a kid, probably because of the ADHD. Um, But it was like, oh, right. I'm going to do this for you. I'm also going to do this like for little me. Mm. And we're going to like know that it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to make a decision. That like gave me goosebumps just thinking Mm -hmm. about the fact that we get a chance to give our children what we needed, right? Mm -hmm. And that that part of us that we're trying to hide and protect, I think, is in so many ways a connection to what it feels like to be a child, right? And it Mm -hmm. actually is a doorway gateway into giving us 
data information about what it is our children need because it is what we need and still need it. Like what we needed mm-hmm. and what we still need, right? Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Um, Dr. Martinez, where can people <laughs> connect with you to continue to, you know, learn from you? Because the our whole conversation just like was birthed from like two of your posts, right? And we had this like huge dialogue around it and learned so much um, from you from it. So where can people continue to connect with you um, and learn from you? I'm over on Instagram at Dr. Sahar Martinez. Uh, I'm on TikTok, kind of. <laughs> Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> it's fun over there. It really is fun um, over there. Like, I don't know. You get to be a little like more funny and creative yeah. and messy. I like it over there. Mm-hmm. You get to be a little bit more real, less curated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But those are like the two big platforms I'm on. Awesome. Well, I will share links to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a joy to connect with you and to then share this conversation with others. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air and go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.